Hey guys, how are we doing? Juwad here with Hit The Apex Podcast. We're here another week. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for joining, um, getting on board and everything. And yeah, how are you guys doing? Hope everyone is well. Um, kind of feels like every day is blending into one another and then weeks blend into another and before you know it, the months will start doing the same thing as well. It's kind of loose sense of time or me personally, I kind of lose track of things without, you know, having any racing on because, you know, a lot of the way that my calendar gets structured is around, oh, okay, so I know which weekend this is because it's this race on this weekend or that race is on this weekend kind of thing. So you, you kind of build your year or you remember what day it is based around what's going on in the world of motorsport. But at the moment, it's like, okay, we're on an extend, extended holiday, basically. It's like the summer months, but now going over to into winter and everything. But anyway, I've said many times already in the last few weeks that that's all secondary, you know, at the moment, given that everyone's health and safety is probably more paramount, well, definitely is more paramount, so, you know, hope you guys are keeping well and everything, um, staying in touch with loved ones and um, staying in touch with friends and everything, and yeah, just trying to stay positive too, because that's really important at this time, um, with what is going on in the world at the moment. So I'm here again this week, Um, plenty to talk about actually and you know I'm sure there'll be some of you out there who'll be happy to hear uh, the podcast go on despite the fact that there isn't much racing happening in the world. I'll talk about the Supercars E-Series, we had a really, really exciting race or few races last night with round two and then yeah Max Verstappen also joining in with the supercars regulars too so that was really exciting um and some other stuff as well a bit of uh what's going to happen in the next few weeks with uh my own content and everything but i wanted to start off with some sad news uh which came just at the end of the weekend sunday i think it was sunday night um and that was the passing of sir sterling moss so for those of you who are unfamiliar with Stelling Moss, um, F1 racer, well, he pretty much raced everything he could get his hands on in the 50s, 60s, um, regarded as the greatest driver to have never won a championship, um, but I guess in his mantra, it was all about winning races, and that he did, you know, winning 16 Grand Prix back in his day, including four in that title almost title winning season in 1958 against uh, Mike Hawthorne. Of course, um, the Portuguese Grand Prix that year, very um, infamous incident uh, where Mike Hawthorne was going to be disqualified for restarting or rejoining the race the wrong way after he was spun around. But um, a bit of great sportsmanship there from Sir Sterling Moss. Uh, He was witness to that incident with Hawthorne and was able to fess up to the stewards and they overturned it so in the end it cost uh, Moss the title by one point but ultimately it was a sportsmanship I think that everyone gave him the credit for that day but still you know 1950s one of the most brutal eras of Grand Prix racing winning 16 Grand Prix he was runner-up in the championship I think four times and then you know of course racing for famous marks like Mercedes, you know, he's a Mercedes legend, um, Martin Brundle, obviously, summing up Sir Sterling Moss as a mighty racer and gentleman, 
which you know given what you've read and heard and seen perhaps um that's probably the best way to sum him up you know and the sportsmanship that we saw from him in 58 with Mike Hawthorne at Portugal yeah you can definitely say he was a gentleman some of the other races that he's achieved or won and been successful at so the Millimilia which was a time trial that uh, happened in Italy didn't last very long because of how um, dangerous it was and everything it was basically a one big road race you know from one end to the other uh, it's like more than a thousand miles or something and you can basically just drive flat out and on public roads too so it was like okay basically it's like need for speed to get <laughs> need for speed in real life or something the game but a lot more um, brutal but yeah Moss was able to win that in 1955 in the Mercedes 300 SLR which is a car that's been immortalized um, by that victory and by Sterling Moss to the point where a few years ago Mercedes uh, made a tribute shooting brake no, not shooting brake car tribute speeds the car um named after sterling moss so the slr sterling moss edition you know limited edition car and you know that was a ultimate tribute for them it's a road car that i'm pretty sure everyone's well, they're all sold out extremely rare they probably only built like i don't know <laughs> it was a very limited number but pretty cool if you can drive it in a video game if it's in there or whatever um and of course moss was the only brit to win that race as well so given that the race didn't really last uh much longer after 55 so that's a record that will stand for the rest of time now so that's you know another really good achievement he did something ridiculous number like over 500 races and then i think he won 200 and something of them so a great strike rate for him like he was just so adaptable get into get out of one thing get into another um he did Le Mans as well with one Manuel Fangio who was of course his Mercedes teammate in F1 um but that race or that year they had to withdraw unfortunately because there was an accident involving the other car which killed 83 members of the crowd but a year later, he went on to take the class victory with Aston Martin, um, with teammate Peter Collins. So, and he finished second outright in the race too. So, bit of success there at Le Mans for him. He also raced at the Bathurst 1000, which was really good uh, as an Aussie. You got to look at all the Aussie races and everything. And Bathurst, of course, is our pinnacle. And the Bathurst 1000 in '76 with uh, Sir Jack Brabham, of course, another legendary driver and world champion at that in that era. Um, unfortunately, they didn't even finish the race or make it too far into the race. They uh, had a DNF due to stuck gears. They qualified in the top 10, though, which was impressive. But yeah, he, unfortunately, that was... Um, so Sterling Moss's only effort at Bathurst and it was a, a DNF so you know that would have been great to have seen him come back and do some more but hey busy man you know going around doing all sorts of races and you know a few people have talked about how you know it's it's almost a lost art these days seeing drivers multidisciplined and you know if they're in Formula One they can go and drive something else I mean, more recently we did see Nico Hulkenberg do it in 2015 where he went off and won Le Mans with Porsche on his first attempt and of course Fernando Alonso doing the Indy 500 whilst still a McLaren F1 driver too so you know we kind of seen it 
creep back in in a little way but yeah this whole I guess doing two championships at once or three championships at once it's kind of a lost start now and it's just very difficult to actually do given the fact that there's so many sponsorship um, and contractual obligations that drivers are bound by and it's just very commercial it was great last year though seeing at the Bathurst 1000 Welkinshaw and Dreddy United able to utilize their partnership and bring over some IndyCar stars so Alexander Rossi and James Hinchcliffe came over and did the wild card at Bathurst you know great experience for them and it was just good to see that exposure and again seeing multi-discipline drivers as well being able to get out of one car and come over and do another category or a major race so you know hopefully it's something that we rediscover or the guys rediscover um, once we get back to racing and in the future as well of course but for now yeah it's um, it was very sad of course to to hear about Sir Sterling Moss age 90 um, had been battling with illness for some time now so you know 90s are a really good age and um, you know he survived one of the most brutal and dangerous eras of racing and um lived a pretty full life you got to say so yeah Vales of Sterling Moss sad also on the same day if you're fans of um, comedy or comedy lovers out there uh, Tim Brooke Taylor of course as well uh, passing away and that was due to COVID-19 they confirmed so a bit of a dark day I guess but you know it's um, it's important that we celebrate what these people stood for and all the achievements that they were able to to get under their belts in the time that they were at the height of their success and yeah for Sterling Moss of course it was you know being able to win 16 Grand Prix he won pretty much everything he contested and you know places like Le Mans, Millimilia, one of the most dangerous races coming to Bathurst whatever he did he was really good at and um, yeah he'll be someone I'm sure the F1 community and the motorsport community will sorely miss worldwide um but yeah moving it on now and speaking of multidisciplined, i guess this doesn't really count given that it's virtual but max verstappen <laughs> f1 race winner um coming to do or not coming he was at his apartment in monaco i'm pretty sure but um joining the supercars e-series and it's great to see the success that the supercars e-series has had in the two weeks that it's been on you know i just talked about it briefly last week how it was good to see that all the drivers are involved. They've got the real-life commentators. They've got the proper presentation as well for the broadcast. And, you know, even though it's all good fun and games, you know, there's still a championship on the line and people are taking it seriously. Like Anton Di Pasquale last week was rather miffed about getting that penalty for that late hit on Jack LeBrock. And then, of course, you've got the driving standard observer, Craig Baird, on board too. So it's really been quite appealing um, in the first two rounds. And of course, with Verstappen coming on board too, I'm sure that'll, there would have been a lot of interest among F1 circles as well overnight watching it. So hopefully for the next round, which is going to be at Bathurst, in fact, um, next week, we'll get to see um, Max return. He was a bit non-committal um, when they asked him whether he would be back or not for next week. But I'm sure hopefully he'll say yes. And what if it attracts other um, F1 drives to do wild cards, you know, Lando Norris, of course, another big 
esports person or does a lot of sim racing uh, so he'd be great to a great crew as well and then of course any of the IndyCar guys or any driver really who is interested globally to get on board and I'll talk more about I've talked more about you know my thoughts on the e-series and how it's been a success um, in an article I've written so that'll hopefully be published um, uh, by Friday which is tomorrow on the raw so you could be able to read it on there but yeah basically I just talk about how you know just the broadcast and the presentation is is a big winner the way that it's been structured into a championship how they've got all the drivers involved as well um platform for me doesn't really have anything to do with it i guess i racing is a lot more prof- professional and more of a sim racer than say the f1 video game is by codemasters um, which is the reason max verstappen doesn't do the f1 virtual series is because he is not a fan of the game so he would rather do i racing but yeah, you know, it's just the way that they've presented it and got everyone on board, you know, having cameras um, on all the drivers from their, you know, I guess their respective uh, homes or garages or sheds or whatever. Or if you're Rick Kelly, you've got a huge um, bug out bunker basically that is built on his property. It looks impressive from what we've seen on TV. Like it's it's every person's dream to have, I guess, a, a shed like that or it's more like a a warehouse that he's got so really cool there from rick kelly but yeah a lot of the guys you know they've really got into it now into the second week and hopefully next week we get to see some more fun racing and that's the most important thing that it's it's fun you know it's not you know even though it is competitive everyone is having good fun i'm having a great giggle on the tv because you know obviously this isn't real and if somebody crashes you don't worry about them or you're worried about you know whether they're okay or not you can actually laugh about it so seeing jamie wincup get like torpedoed or whatever yesterday at silverstone had a good giggle about that because it just looked hilarious with him driving around with no boot lid basically so i'm sure they'll be having good fun as well doing it but yeah in real life of course your first reaction is that i hope they're okay the driver's okay um that looked nasty and all but yeah in the virtual world it's a completely different story so have a good giggle um good fun in games and yeah bathurst next week hopefully we get to see some good racing again and you know a lot of drivers out there internationally who talk about wanting to race at bathurst so now's your opportunity come race a supercar at bathurst albeit in the virtual world and as I said, you can uh, read the article when it's available on The Raw, which is theraw.com.au, the sports website that I write for. I haven't written anything for a while now. So I think, yeah, now I'm going to have, uh, now I will actually have time to be able to put out more content. So tomorrow, Friday, the 17th of April, is going to be my last day at work or all of our last days at work so the shop will be closing um, and we will no longer be required to attend for a period of time which is unknown at this moment so yeah it'll be it's it's here the day has finally come we've had the confirmation so it'll be hard not to feel a bit emotional um when leaving and everything you know handing your keys in and all that sort of stuff and of course as i've said over the last few weeks it's really been good while everyone is isolating and cut off from each other not being able to see friends is that i've been able to hang out with my work family and 
you know, be close with them and everything and still have the fun that we normally do, carry on like we do, like a bunch of rascals, <laughs> motley crew we are there, so, you know, last time that we'll see each other for some time as well, you know, it's only going to make us more hungrier to get back there and, you know, continue have having the fun that we do, servicing the community and all that sort of stuff, but yeah, for the time being, I guess, you know, that'll be, we'll be bidding farewell, but not goodbye, that's the main thing, so yeah, given that I'll have more time on my hands to focus on uh, all the motorsport stuff at home, the revisitation series that I was looking at doing, um, where I'd be writing about um, old content, you know, the aim is to rewatch or rediscover races and seasons that I was invested into but before I started writing so I was writing race reports you know just putting them up on I forgot where I was uploading and might have just had a WordPress blog or something back then but you know not getting them properly published and with a proper audience and everything so for that I thought you know F1 season reviews or even going back and watching all the races if I can find them on the archive um, for 2010 and 2012 that was an initial thought um, for those, I know, um, my mate Josh Kerr, who will be listening, I'm sure, <laughs> how you doing Josh, um, he's already, he's going to go and review the 1999 season, and he's been doing the F1 Rewind races that they've been putting up on YouTube, so he did the 97 uh, European Grand Prix, the Hereth Grand Prix last week, where the title finale between Schumacher and Villeneuve, Schumacher of course out um, controversially, and uh, Villeneuve went on to win the title, and victory went to Mika Hakkinen, his first win in F1, so I did end up, I think I watched that before, I can't even remember now what I did last week, did I watch it before the podcast, or did I say I was going to watch it, and then Anyway, <laughs> let's not dwell on the past now. Anyway, even though we are going to be watching some old races. But yeah, no, Josh is doing that. And I think it's really good for him to um, learn learn about, you know, the F1, F1 in the 90s. It's, it's really good just being able to watch that old content and picking up things that you might not have known before and stuff. So I really look forward to his content and everything um, that he's going to be putting out too, so that's what I'll do F1-wise, you know, focus on 2010 and 2012 for now, um, and then plan some stuff later on, Bathurst 1000s I've set as well for supercars, so maybe rewatch some of the highlights, or if I can find the full races for some of those ones, probably before 2016, so I think 2016 I did write a thing about it, 2015, um, not sure, but 2014 is one I really want to focus on, the um, famous or the longest ever race in Bathurst history where, you know, the track broke up, they had to red flag it, basically a big half-time break they had, and then at the end of it um, we had Chas Mostert who started last and finished first in the race with Paul Morris in the last lap pass on Jamie Wincup who ran out of fuel, and of course, Craig Lowndes as well, Bathurst legend. Um, got to see him in the flesh win Bathurst back in 2015. That was a um, surreal experience, I guess. The new king of the mountain. I think he's still two wins behind Peter Brock's record of nine, but um, you know, two two wins away. You know, it's it's closer than anyone ever else has been. So, yeah. 
But um, CL, some of his famous wins, 06 with uh, Jamie Wincup, that first one in a while for him, but also straight after the death of Peter Brock, you know, it was an emotional week for everyone and an emotional race, and I guess it was befitting for Lowndes to have won that one, given that he was basically um, Brock's prodigy or protege and basically became the new champion of the people, people's champion like uh, Brock was. So 06 is a really special one, really emotional. Um, 2010 as well, given that it was the start of a new decade and because um, Lowndes pretty much won the race single-handedly given that Mark Scaife uh, cracked a rib and couldn't really race for the whole uh, for the whole distance and basically I think he did not even the minimum laps that a co-driver has to do because of his injury so yeah Lowndes pretty much triple or quadruple stinting it to to win the race back in 2010 so some important races there Bathurst there could be other races too like Sandowns and stuff like that um I guess it kind of ties into this other thing that I'm doing at the moment is uh having a look through and restoring a lot of my old photography from the old Sony camera that I used to have um back you know I guess five six years ago yeah yeah probably that that sounds about right um I was more into film you know I was keen to do filming and I had like a a little film camera which you could take stills on as well but then you know I started you know getting into photography and I wanted to do stills and stuff like that and I was using that camera to, to take stills a lot of it, yeah, you know, kind of limited by the camera's capability, you know, lack of, you know, um, shutter and everything, uh, what do you call it, you know, uh, endless shutter and all that sort of stuff, um, I was kind of limited by that, but still got some pretty decent shots, I think, not the greatest, I mean, my content now, I think, is a whole lot better since I got the DSLR, but I still did okay, I think, when I was doing film as well, but, um, yeah, so I'm going back and restoring a few of those old photos, so I spent the Easter long weekend just gone by, um, having a look at a few different folders, so I started off with the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix in 2014, got a few photos that I really liked, and I kind of touched them up, you know, had to put a few filters in them as well to to make them look uh, a bit more crisp than they were, so why not even, you know, like, looking at those photos, tell the story of that race, I thought, maybe write, write it down and publish that, so, you know, 2015 Bathurst is one of those ones that I've finished going through all those photos, and I've got now, um, I think some of my best photos from Bathurst 2015 was the top 10 shootout, which was in the wet, um, rain changes everything, of course, and at a place like Bathurst, it's, it's pretty mighty, and, uh, I was positioned at turn one, just on the outside of turn one, and um, seeing the guys start their shootout laps, um, really good, you know, and now touching up the colour and everything as well, so the cars really pop out, and you can see, of course, the rain and everything as well, so that was really cool, there was, I think, one of Shane Van Gisbergen drifting out of the pit lane <laughs> in the rain too, so I've got that one ready and restored as well, and then, of course, all the Grand Prix, the Australian Grand Prix that I went to in between as well before I started doing the work with the media, uh, uh, with the accreditation, so just trying to take photos at fan forums and stuff like that, and a little bit of on-track stuff, but not too much, so I did 2015, I've gone and 
touched up all those photos. So basically all those I'll be putting up on Instagram, um, you know, probably like a few at a time. So I put the Abu Dhabi, a couple of those Abu Dhabi ones up on Instagram already. Um, if you are keen to follow me on Instagram, you can at uh, Dr. 46th basically uh, same as my twitter personal twitter handle so you can have a look at those photos there if you're really keen and yeah i've got a few that are ready to go up but then yeah there's heaps more that i still need to work on and as i said perhaps telling the story of that race might be something i might end up doing as well writing a few articles about you know what's the uh, story behind a photo the behind the photo and how did that race pan out and i think 2015 bathurst is definitely one of those ones that i would like to do that with um other content like sports car content i don't know it's hard to gauge um and i guess your feedback would be much appreciated too guys is you know do you want me to see me write about sports cars you know wec i have been really keenly following uh, the 24-hour Le Mans for the last few years of course since you know while Audi and Porsche were still contesting 2016 was an important year because it was the return of Ford um, they returned to the GTE rank uh, to the GTE ranks and I guess it was 60 years of course after their famous win in 1966 where they finished 1-2-3, so for the Ford GT to return that year, and also, I think they finished 1-2, or yeah, they finished 1-2, and Ferrari, no, sorry, finished 1-3, and Ferrari were on the podium, so again, a Ford versus Ferrari, 60 years later, in 2016, but in the GTE class, so might do something about that, and how special it is for Ford as a mark for that, MotoGP with their vintage races as well, that they're showing on YouTube, so I watched the 07 race in Phillip Island, of course the first of six in a row for Casey Stoner, the Aussie, and of course that was after he already wrapped up his first championship, for Ducati and it was the last championship that Ducati has won in MotoGP so that's you know in itself is a is an interesting story and I guess that's where I know some people have asked you know why you want to look back at old stuff you know you should look be living in the now or looking ahead but from a analytical and you know sporting point of view sometimes looking back and seeing what was already done and put into stone has a great impact on what's happening today. And, you know, of course, for Ducati and MotoGP, you know, it seems that Casey Stoner was the only one who was able to really unlock the potential of that bike and be able to take it to where it was. Because, of course, after that, we know that Nicky Hayden, the 06 champion, got on board the Ducati, wasn't able to do much with it. Valentino Rossi you know, in search of title number 10 after leaving Yamaha, he went over there and wasn't able to get anything out of the Ducati, and then I guess in recent years they've had a bit more of a revival around Andrea De Vizioso, um, Andrea Inoni when he was on the bike, not a big, I don't know what to think of Inoni anymore, perhaps not a big fan, um, as a racer he's, you know, he's quick, but given all the other stuff that's going on, he's just been banned for, for doping, and he still denies that he did anything wrong, yeah, I don't know what, uh, maybe that's the plastic surgery talking, mate, <laughs> but yeah, um, Iannone and uh, Davizioso, and then of course, uh, 
Danilo Petrucci coming on board to the factory team in the last couple of years. So, yeah, you know, and Davizioso had two opportunities to win the championship, didn't. What's going to happen for Ducati next? And there was a lot of talk, I guess, coming into this season about how the silly season Ducati's going to be looking for high-profile rider, but in the end, Mavic Vinales ended up staying put. Uh, Yamaha, sorry, uh, Vinales ended up staying put at Yamaha. They locked in Quattararo as well. Um, do Ducati go and get Jack Miller if Danilo Petrucci's not the uh, guy that's going to take him forward? What about Davizioso? Is he had enough too? There was talk about a rift between he and Ducati at the end of last year, so. A lot of ifs heading into this season, but of course that's all on hold and for good reason. But yeah, so races like that, MotoGP, and in any sport, you know, what's happened in the past has a big impact on what's happening now and then potentially in the future too. So a few more interesting races I am keen to check out and the 2012 Phillip Island Grand Prix, which is one that I remember fondly watching um, just on the TV. I haven't been to Phillip Island, so, you know, I've really... I mean, I've been to Phillip Island, I've been to the track, but I've never seen a Grand Prix there, which is very disturbing, but it'll happen, it'll happen. I've got to do it before Valentino retires because it would be very sad. I really want to get some good photos of the MotoGP bikes. Um, Now, so yeah, 12 Phillip Island, of course, with Casey Stoner winning his final race before retirement. It was the same weekend that Marc Marquez won the Moto2 championship, and then, of course, we're all like, oh, yeah, you know, he's replacing Stoner, surely, you know, he's not going to be as good straight off the bat. Next thing you know, he's won six world championships, (laughs) going back all the way to 2012, so, you know, again, another thing where, you know, at the time you don't think it, but then six years down the track, it's a totally different story. So, yeah, that's kind of a bit of a sampler as to what I might do there's endless stuff out there I think the main thing here is and I think everyone's going to fall into the trap of this while being stuck at home and in isolation is that you're going to say that oh I've got heaps to do I've been meaning to do this for so long yada 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 but it's just finding the motivation to to get onto it kind of thing straight away so yeah you've got the time but you don't want to lose time either you want to be able to keep yourself occupied, keep yourself active, keep your brain active as well, you know, mentally you don't want to fall into a um, dark place or anything because you're not doing anything at the moment, so that way, you know, setting out a plan for yourself or a structure saying, look, you know, I'd like to cover this, I'd like to cover that, in in my instance, um, means I can sort of build build a little bit of a structure and be like okay I'm going to be doing this today I'm going to be doing that today um and not just sit there on the couch watching Netflix all day um down in grog or eating snacks no we'll keep that for the weekend try and behave ourselves (laughs) um so yeah otherwise what content do you want to see me revisit or write about so you can always reach out on the twitters get on to at hit the apex media for that so that's the revisitation series as far as motorsport is concerned um and again it'll be when next week hits and the reality sinks in that i'm no longer at work or having to think about work as much 
going to be like, crap, what do I do? Um, and I've got to just motivate myself and kick myself in the or hit myself in the face and say, look, you got to do this today, you got to do that today, and that way you'll just keep the ball rolling kind of thing. So with that out of the way, um, Easter was kind of a little bit of a teaser as to how life would be like at home. But I just spent most of the time resting, really. I needed to rest and recuperate a little bit, um, just mentally the last few weeks or ever since... um, the Australian Grand Prix, it's been very stressful and with work and everything. So it was just nice to shut down a little bit and spend five days kind of just letting the body recuperate. I spent the weekend part of the uh, of Easter watching the original six Star Wars films. So I haven't done that for about five years, so it was quite nice. To, I think ever since the I last watched them, so that's the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy, I hadn't seen them since before The Force Awakens came out in 2015. So, yeah, it has been a long time. And, you know, looking back on them now... Sorry, guys, the mic just cut out for some reason. Ugh. Um... Looking back on them now, I guess I'm a little less harsh on the prequels, given how disappointing the sequel trilogy was. Um, Attack of the Clones is still a pile of fecal matter, I'm not going to deny that. I still love the last kind of 30 minutes or whatever, um, the start of the Clone Wars and everything. But given the fact that the sequel trilogy just ended up being a, a hot mess of confusion... Like, there was no one clear narrative, and the ending was really weak. Um, The Rise of Skywalker, I'm not going to talk too much about it, given that there are still people who probably haven't seen it and don't want spoilers. Um, Yeah, you know, it just just felt like a hot mess of confusion at the end of the day, the, the sequel trilogy. Like, Force Awakens was good fun, you know, played it safe, um, and we're like, okay, you know, I mean... They're not going to really take any risks, I think, with this and, you know, we'll just test the waters a little bit and see how the audience reacts. And it was good fun. Um, It kind of, after a few watches, you kind of get bored of it and be like, yeah, you know, it's just, they're just trying to rehash a new hope or whatever. The Last Jedi then afterwards, it was bold, but very confusing still, but I give credit to it for being bold to step out and try and find a new take this narrative in a new direction um so for that I gave it praise but it still had a lot of weak points but then the way it all kind of culminated in the rise of Skywalker you know obviously the media attention around it at the time and the the political sniping between directors of course you know Ryan Johnson doing the last Jedi and um, J.J. Abrams being brought back to do Rise of Skywalker was kind of like, all right, so basically, rather than a story, you guys are basically just taking hits at each other, or the the Rise of Skywalker was basically just one big hit on The Last Jedi, like, come on, seriously, but then again, Star Wars fans are quite fickle, and they'll hate anything or whatever, so yeah, it kind of just, it was a bit disappointing in that way, I'm not 
overly fanatical and like, oh my god, it was like, ah, ah, you know, the way some people reacted on social media and everything, so just very diplomatically and passively saying that, yeah, it was kind of just a bit of a mess, the, the sequel trilogy, but look, you know, I really appreciated, it, it gave me a good throwback into how I really loved Star Wars growing up, had all the Lego and, you know, the video games as well, Star Wars Battlefront 2, the original Battlefront 2, still one of my favourite games, the Lego Star Wars uh, series as well has been quite awesome, and Revenge of the Sith is still my favourite um, of the prequel trilogy, a lot of memes to come out of that and in-jokes and everything, um, Phantom Menace, you know, kind of, yeah, take it or leave it, pod racing, that was okay, um, I was really into it for a, for a time, and I guess, you know, George Lucas is a bit of an F1 fan, isn't he, turns up to F1 races, so I guess, yeah, he wanted to put a bit of an F1 element into, into the pod racing thing, but yeah, then when you look at the, the, the originals, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, absolute classics, you know, you don't try to pick them apart for the special effects and stuff like that, it's like watching old Doctor Who, you know, the 1950s and 60s, and even in the 70s where, you know, special effects wasn't really in their forte, it was more about the storytelling, and that's what the original Star Wars is, so yeah, for that, so good watching it again, and when you look at where it is now, I think Star Wars, like ever since they got sold to Disney and everything, and have been able to expand the universe, even though they kind of erased all the expanded universe content that was previously created in books and all that, I think what they've done with things like Rogue One and The Mandalorian offers a good escape from, I guess, the main saga, which is around the Sky... they call it the Skywalker saga now, so Rogue One, great film, I might watch that this weekend, actually, if I don't feel too... Star Wars doubt. <laughs> it is it is very it is a bit much, you know, when you go and watch all the movies in one hit. And Mandalorian, of course, we watched it over over the summer, um, around Christmas time. It was a good series. So things like that um offer a good escape, but at the same time it's like too much Star Wars can also be a bad thing, you know, just trying to really saturate the um saturate the franchise. Um just for the sake of having a new movie every year, which this year will not be the case, but hopefully we will get a second season of The Mandalorian. Also got the chance to re-watch um, TT Closer to the Edge, um, if you guys are fans of the Isle of Man TT, and, or just want to watch a good movie, get onto it, um, came out in 2011, narrated by Jared Leto, of course, the lead singer of 30 Seconds to Mars, if you're a fan of those guys, and of course, um, a prolific actor himself, um, good movies he's done too, probably still pissed off about the Joker, <laughs> um, the fact that he didn't get a phone call or anything about uh, auditioning for that part that Joaquin Phoenix ended up doing and won the Oscar for, gonna watch that again as well at some point, that was bloody brilliant, dark, but very brilliant, anyway, yeah, Jared Leto narrating the TT movie, um, I guess, in that time, it's hilarious when you look back at the narrative of that centred around the 2010 
Isle of Man TT and where we are now, 2020, Guy Martin still hasn't won a TT, <laughs> given that he was kind of the main character and all that, and he actually stopped going to the TT a couple of years ago, or stopped racing altogether, so there's that one. Uh, McPint, John McGuinness, 23 TT wins now, compared to where he was back in 2010 when they filmed that. A few injuries later as well, but 23 wins now, which means he is three wins behind Joey Dunlop's record of 26 overall. His nephew, uh, Michael Dunlop, of course, with 19 wins now, and um, I did bring up last year on the podcast at some point the um, tragic death of his brother, William Dunlop, uh, uh, so very sad, I guess, and, you know, the Dunlop story, you can watch that, um, there's a whole other documentary film about the uh, Dunlop dynasty back in 2014, I think it came out, and that one's narrated by Liam Neeson, good good movie, you should check it out, um, talking about, of course, Joey Dunlop and his brother Robert, uh, who is the father of Michael and William Dunlop, Joey basically you know just this legend of a of a racer and you know in motorcycle circles regarded as one of the greatest um and then of course Robert Dunlop as well tragically being killed uh I think it was I can't remember what race it was but Michael was there and then the next day after his father was killed in a crash uh, Michael, even though he wasn't supposed to race, came out and raced and won that race, so very emotional, these road racing guys are just total different breed of person, you know, they're just, you think MotoGP and World Superbike riders are, are nuts, these road racers take it to a whole new level, and you've got to respect them for it, it is, you know, the ultimate passion where you're willing to put it all on the line to be able to get that adrenaline rush or to to fight for victory and for these guys it's about the freedom you know to have the mountain course there on the Isle of Man all to yourself between you and the bike the harmony between man and machine it's just it's something else entirely and that's why I have a lot of respect for the the motorcycle races for that because it seems you can see the harmony between man and machine a lot better than you can with a race car, for example, even, you know, with open wheelers where you'll, you'll see the helmet of the driver, you won't see the rest of them because they're, of course, protected in the, in the cockpit, but with racing bikes, of course, everything is exposed, you know, you've got the rider there in his leathers, his or her leathers, um, and you see every movement, you know, the way that they move on the bike, you know, the lean angle and everything, stick your leg out, elbows down, all that sort of stuff, and the head movement as well, so it's a whole different thing, and yeah, the Isle of Man TT, of course, regarded as one of the most dangerous races in the world still, um, and yeah, going back and watching that movie was quite good so yeah and road is another one then if you want to follow the Dunlop dynasty uh that'd be a good one to watch too and I did write about this a few years ago about Ian Hutchinson who in that in the TT movie in 2010 he became the first rider until now to have won all five of the races the um solo races in the TT week so that was a good good haul for him he ended up then after 
doing his leg, got ran over at a superbike race and had to do a complete leg reconstruction. There was a good documentary on that. I think that they did in-house the um, commercial company behind the TT and um, basically charting his recovery and everything. And when um, he did make his comeback, eventually he came and won three races in the out of five that week so that was really impressive and I think I wrote about it and it was either 20 yeah it was 2016 that he made his comeback and now he's up to 16 wins in total because yeah he could have lost his leg you know he it was basically hanging on by a thread and they rebuild the whole thing and then he's able to come back and do one of the dangerous races in the world so you got to take your hat off to him really good stuff so bit of other media there for you to potentially check out i know star wars isn't everyone's cup of tea and i don't really wax lyrical much about it anymore either it's you know if you like it i'll talk about it and if you want to get into it i'll i'll get you into it but i'm not going to force it upon you because it's it's not really my thing um with anything at all um music wise just quickly the cure is it the cure a lot of people are saying that at the moment, using that joke. I just had to force it in. And here's me saying that I don't really force anything upon anyone. Anyway, um, yeah, just been really listening to The Cure quite a lot, enjoying them again. Pictures of You, probably my favourite song. So get on to them if you're, if you're keen on a bit of gothic rock, a bit of post-punk, very mellow kind of listening. So it's it's like a far cry from the usual heavier stuff that I listen to like I was listening to The Cure yesterday morning and then by the end of the day um, on the way home I had Stray From The Path on so there you go big contrast between the two and Stray From The Path Stray From The Path Outbreak that's probably the song that sums up what's going on now as well so get on to that other than that guys I think that's pretty much it for this week it is likely that I will podcast next week given that I will have free time on my hands feel free to reach out as always um, you can reach us on the the usual Twitter channel but of course listening to the podcast as well iTunes Spotify the whole lot um, or listen in browser on transistor otherwise take it easy and I'll talk to you guys soon ciao